Hello, and welcome to the Destiny Church Podcast. We trust that this will be a great encouragement to you and build your faith. Enjoy today's message. So a lot of you know uh, my sister Jess, she's in the room, but she's a competitive CrossFitter. I think a lot of you guys know that, and last week we were down in Miami, and kind of you know, to help you guys sort of understand this whole CrossFit thing, what, what does it mean to be a competitive CrossFitter? Well, she has the goal of getting to the CrossFit Games every year. And for those who don't know, it's basically the Super Bowl of CrossFit. It's where all the fittest people in the world meet once a year and see who's the fittest, you know? Like, it's awesome. Um, but, but to get there, there's, there's only a couple of ways that you can qualify to get there. You either have to, uh, and, and one of the ways that you qualify, there's a couple of events throughout the year. They're worldwide. They're all over the place. They're called sanctioned events, okay? They're sanctionals, and you have to go to one of these sanctionals almost like, you know, it's like this certified competition, and you have to place high enough, and then all the people who win these sanctioned events, they get to go to the CrossFit Games, so it's a big deal. So us, you know, as, as family, it's, it's, the sanctionals always take place on the weekend, so it's always hard to get to them, but we try like once or twice a year to go watch Jess compete because we want to support her and cheer her on. And Emma Carey was also there. I think she's in the room, so she was down in Miami, and she had a sanctional event. You actually won the sanctional event, didn't you? Yeah, so come on. That's <laughs> fittest church on earth. Let's go. No. Oh, that's good. So... We, we want to go watch her, and it, Abigail, uh, me, and my parents are going to be the ones who go on this trip. We're going to go to Miami. We're going to watch Jess. Yeah, we'll go hang out by the beach. Why not, you know, kill two birds with one stone? So uh, we're excited to go watch her, but, you know, if, if you know my mom, really, really good people skills, a lot of gifts, can't turn on a computer, you know, like just <laughs> doesn't even know how to press the, the on button, okay? So I know... Mama Griff isn't going to be planning this trip, okay? And then I've been talking with my dad. I, I know my dad's been swamped at work, and he's like, he's like y'all, just, y'all just plan it. So I know Abigail and I need to take it upon ourselves. We need to plan this trip. Now, anyone who knows me and knows Abigail and has spent any time with us at all, no, we're very different. We're very different. You could go as far as to say we're opposites. Abigail, quiet, sweet, gentle, patient, thinks deeply before she speaks, right? And then you have Mark, loud, rash, impatient, sometimes thinks little before he speaks. Keyword sometimes, okay? Amen. Abigail, (laughs) Abigail plans very slowly. Right? Very intentionally. Very carefully. She, she plans very carefully. Mark plans quickly, recklessly, thinking, what's the worst that could happen? <laughs> we'll deal with it when we get there, right? <laughs> so uh, sometimes I can get frustrated with Abigail because she's so patient and she's so careful. It's like, I'm not sure if that's the Airbnb we should go to. <laughs> I'm like, listen, I got a million other things I got to get done on my list. Let's book the Airbnb, book the rental car. It'll be fine. We just need to, you know, look at the pictures. That one looks nice. We'll just go to that one. Okay? Just, just whatever. It, but also, but I'm proud of myself because I'm going with what's cheapest. 
I'm like, man, this is like one of the first trips I planned. I'm saving us a ton of money. Let's go. This is awesome. So, you know, she's taking too long. I'm like, all right, you get out of the way. Like, I'll, I'll plan this, okay? So I, I, I booked the Airbnb, cheap. I, I, I get the rental car, cheap, okay? We got the plane tickets, cheap. Everything's cheap. This Airbnb website looks a little sketchy, but you know what? <laughs> this is how you do it. It's, we'll be all right, you know? So we, you know, our, our, our plane tickets were real. Those worked. We got, got to the airport. That was good. <laughs> Made it through. I was a little nervous about that. I'm like, okay, good. <laughs> they worked, right? All right. And, we, and then we get, we, we don't get, a, we, we take a, a shuttle to the rental car place. It was an off-site rental car place because, I, I don't know. It's, needless to say, that was a little bit of a project. And then as we, it was cheap. It was good. Save money. At this point, I'm like, we should have just paid. This is why people just pay. So then we get in our rental car, and we put in the address of our Airbnb, and I'm not kidding. The pictures on this thing were it's amazing. <laughs> like, it really looked awesome on the inside. <laughs> and as we start driving to the Airbnb, it's just like the environment is just getting, like, worse and worse, and, like, worse and worse. And, like, w- when I say, like, we're in the middle of, can I say the hood? Like, we are in. <laughs> I'm looking around like we are. in. Like, Abigail, I look in the back. Abigail's got her hood up. I'm like, what? <laughs> we pull up to our, our Airbnb. True story. There is a gate and bars on the window. And I'm like, y'all hungry? Like, let's go get lunch. <laughs> so... Jess is about to compete, and we're looking around, and we're like, holy moly, this is, this is a really rough area, like really, really rough. This is why it was so cheap. And, as, as, and, and we know Jess is about to compete, so we're like, you know what? We'll figure out the Airbnb later. Um, so we start, we just take off to Jess's venue. The, the Airbnb was about 20 minutes from where she competed, and so we start driving through the city. And like when I talk about brokenness, like I didn't even know broken like this, brokenness like this. I guess I knew it it existed in America, but I don't know if I've ever seen it like I saw as we drove through these certain parts of downtown Miami. And you could, there's literally just mounds where it's like pe- people don't have houses. Like they just got a pile of stuff and it's everywhere. There's just, you know, the, the homelessness has just ravaged this area where we stop at this stoplight and I literally watch this guy lift up his leg, he pulls out, he pulls out a dollar, hands it to this guy, he hands him a baggie. I'm like witnessing this. I'm not making this up. I'm, you, you can see this guy standing with a couple of girls and, you know, they're, they're dressed in a way that you know, would lead you to assume, man, this is like prostitution that's going on, brokenness like crazy. And it made me think, wow, I think we lose sight of how rich we really are. I, I don't think we have any idea how blessed we really are. I think when we, when we hear the word rich, we think of mansions and nice cars and the, and the pool in the back, right? And lavish clothes and expensive meals. I'm not rich, right? But as I drove down these Miami streets, I couldn't help but redefine what it means to be rich. And I can confidently say that in comparison to really the rest of the world, in a lot of ways, many of us in this room we're rich. We're rich. We have cars and transportation. 
We have our own personal toilets, praise God. We have comfortable beds, climate-controlled living spaces. This is lavish. We're rich. And I say all that to suggest that maybe we're richer than we think. Maybe we're richer than we've given ourselves credit for. And, you know, over, over the weeks, I've talked a lot about uh, Paul's relationship with Timothy. And I, I read through most of the book of Acts yesterday. And you actually see where Paul and Timothy meet. And Paul, for those who don't know, is uh, persecuting Christians before. Like, he goes from being the most effective Christian killer to the most effective Christian evangelist on earth, almost. And, you know, he, he's on the road to Damascus, and he literally, Jesus shows up. It just kind of zaps him. He has this divine moment. He goes blind. He ends up getting led to this temple, and then he has a guy pray for him, and the scales fall off, and it's like he is made new. He goes from Saul to Paul. He went from uh, uh, the, the worst of sinners to one of the most effective Christian evangelists. He goes to telling the world about the way, which is Jesus, right? And he, and he goes around the, the whole New Testament area landscape, planning churches and telling people about Jesus. And as I, and you guys will read it as you go through Acts, but he literally, we watch him get flogged. He gets stoned and then dragged out of the city only to like wake up from his unconsciousness to go back into the city to continue spreading the gospel. This is who Paul is. It's wild. And he meets this young boy, Timothy, and a lot of scholars think that Timothy came to know the Lord through Paul, but I think that there was something special about Timothy. He kind of becomes like a, uh, a son in the faith to Paul, where they have this father-son relationship, and you know he, he encourages Timothy and even lets Timothy kind of go off on his own and do his own ministry. And Timothy, even though he's young, he's, he, he's a spiritual powerhouse, man. He's, you know, he's getting fired up, and he wants to take part in the gospel and spreading the gospel, and so it gets to a point where Timothy travels around with Paul for a while, but eventually Paul sends Timothy to go, uh, to, to go help this church in Ephesus on his own. He wants Timothy to go lead this church. And so 1 Timothy is, is this letter that Paul's writing to Timothy on how to pastor and lead and steward this church that he's going to be leading because this church has been so corrupt in Ephesus. So here's where we find ourselves in 1 Timothy uh, chapter 6, verses 17 through 19. This is Paul specifically writing to Timothy, and he says this. Command. Everyone say command. command. He doesn't say suggest. He doesn't say ask nicely. He doesn't say mention politely. He says what? Command. It's a powerful word. Command those who are rich in this present world to not be arrogant nor put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God. To a room full of rich people, I tell you, put your hope in God. Don't put your hope in your wealth, in your richness. Um, he, go, he goes on to say, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Then in verse 18, he says, command. Everybody say, command command, not suggest, not ask politely, demand. You create a culture of believers. Tell them this is not optional. This is what the body of Christ looks like. This is what the church is. He says, command them to do good. 
to be rich in deeds and to be what? Generous. There it is. And be generous and willing to share. In this way, they will lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age so that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. Paul's saying, listen, Timothy, if you're going to create a healthy culture when you go to Ephesus, you need to command your people to be generous. I'd even go as far to say, um, Paul got a vision from the Lord of DCM. He goes, oh, core value of generosity. Okay, we should do that too. Let's have two of them. He's saying, Timothy, if you make core values, generosity should be one of them. Have them be generous with their time, talent, and treasure. Little fun fact here. If you're taking notes, this might be interesting to write down. The Bible mentions the word believe, okay? Pretty important to faith and Christianity, this word believe. 272 times in the Bible, that's a lot. We look at the word pray, again, essential to Christianity, essential to, uh, you know, our spiritual disciplines. This is a big deal. We know the Bible talks a lot about prayer, and it mentions prayer 371 times, 371. Love. I mean, the scriptures go as far to say God is love. This is the essence of the faith that we have. It's all about love. Love is important, right? Love is mentioned 714 times. The Bible uses the word give, though, 2,161 times. That's a lot. Here's a couple of those verses that mention that word give or generous. Psalm 37, 21, it says this, The wicked borrow and never repay, but the godly are what? Generous givers. Come on, you want to be godly? Do we want our character to mimic our creators? It says the godly are generous givers. Proverbs eleven twenty five. it says this, The generous will prosper. That's a promise. The generous will will prosper. Those who refresh others will be refreshed themselves. You ever found yourself in a season of life where it's like, man, I've just got no joy. I'm not happy. I'm just, oh, I'm just so sick. I'm so tired. I don't feel like I got to go. What do all those sentences start with? I, I, me, my, This, this verse is saying is those who refresh others will be refreshed themselves. When I'm generous to others, when, when I'm focused on helping and meeting the needs of others, right, I actually get refreshed. Not only does it do something for them, but it does something for me. We were created to interact with one another, to bless one another, to be generous towards one another. I think sometimes this whole topic of being generous in the church, um, especially in the context of church, gets this bad rap because we've all seen, you know, one-eyed Willie on the TV screen. I got this holy water for you, and if you don't send in five dollars right now, then I'm gonna. Right? You better call the number one eight hundred holy water, and I'll get it sent over. Yeah, I know. Yep. And if you send me twenty dollars, I'll send you two jugs of holy water. Right? One-eyed Willie's holy water. Come on down. And we think, or you know, <laughs> you know, I think a lot of times it's like pastors feel like they have to like tiptoe around this idea of being generous. 
and, and maybe you you know maybe you've been a part of a church where you felt like you didn't trust your leader or you've been hurt by the church or you saw them abuse their finances or whatever it was can I just tell you this um as your pastor as your shepherd I'm not going to tiptoe around this idea of being generous um I'm not going to tiptoe around it Paul goes as far to command Timothy to command his people command them to be generous but if I don't encourage you, if I don't challenge you to be generous, if I don't talk about it, not only am I doing this body a disservice, but I'm actually robbing you of living a blessed life. And as your leader, as your pastor, I'm unwilling to do that. I want nothing more for the people of this church to fall in love with Jesus. Like, that's what I'm hungry for. That's what I want to see. That, that's what I, I want the people of this church to fall in love with Jesus, but I also want to watch the people of this church live lives that are saturated with the blessings of God. I, I want to see you bless, right? I, I want to see you refresh. I want to see you prosper. But for us to experience the fullness of God's generosity, church, we have to live generous lives. I'm going to say that again. For us to experience the fullness of God's generosity, we have to be generous ourselves. Amen? So after Paul is radically transformed by God, uh, Paul is credited with planting several churches in the New Testament, like I told you. And something we observe, and I think you'll even see this in the book of Acts as you go through it, but as Paul goes around to these different churches that he's planted, some think it's 14, some think it's even more than 14, but as he goes around, you'll see this, that he takes up a collection for the believers in Jerusalem. And I studied, and I studied this week, and, and, and I couldn't land on exactly what this collection was for. I, I kept, uh, and, and, and I've come to the two conclusions. Really, there's two ideas that I found, and I'm not exactly sure which one the collection was for, or, or for both. But you'll see the church in Jerusalem is being severely persecuted. And, and Paul was a part of that movement. But just because Paul's been converted doesn't mean that the church isn't getting persecuted anymore. So uh, Jerusalem, which is like the epicenter of faith, at this time finds themselves incredibly impoverished downtown Miami style right like and, and but there's also in some of my studies I found that there was a great famine in the land in, in the area of Jerusalem so they think that maybe the believers in Jerusalem uh, they're you know hurting from the famine and they don't have food so regardless Paul's going around to churches and every time he goes around he takes up like this love offering what they called the collection to send back directly to Jerusalem to benefit the believers in Jerusalem okay is that okay everybody understand so so we're going to be in 2 Corinthians this morning, but Paul's talking to the church in Corinth about this collection and taking this up, and, and he talks a whole lot about what our, our attitude towards generosity should look like. So I just want to spend some time in that this morning, and then I'll get you guys out of here. Um, so it'll be on the screen, or you can turn with me, 2 Corinthians 8, verses 1 through 12, it says this. Now I want you to know, dear brothers and sisters, what God in his kindness has done through the churches in Macedonia. I, I, I want you, remember, he's speaking to the church in Corinth, and he goes, I want you to know what God in his kindness has done through these other churches. He says, they are being tested by many troubles, and they are very poor. So he's talking about the church in Macedonia, and he's saying, hey, they're going through their own persecution, and they're experiencing, the, the original language means extreme poverty. 
he goes, but they are also filled with abundant joy, which has overflowed in rich generosity. They are experiencing overwhelming joy, which has overflowed into generosity. A couple of quick notes here. Uh, there's actually some undertones of competitiveness here. Paul's talking to the Corinthians about the Macedonians, uh, and historically, there's been a little bit of beef between those two regions. So I don't know if he's doing this on purpose uh, for kind of that extra urge, that extra challenge, but he's saying, listen, I, I, want, I want to tell you a little bit about what God's doing through the churches in Macedonia. Paul was wise. Um, and then notice Paul tells them that the churches in Macedonia, though, listen, they've been this generous, but they're facing trials. They're actually facing extreme poverty. I may end up saying this a little later in the message, but I think a lot of times we negate ourselves from being generous. We don't think it's our responsibility if, if we have lack. And, and lack and generosity are not connected. Wealth and generosity are not connected. It, it's, it's a lie if you think those things are connected. With, with whatever God's given you, you always have the ability to be generous. You always have the ability. A little nugget that I took from this verse. Um, but I love the end. It says, but they are so filled with abundant joy that generosity is outpouring from them. If we're not generous, maybe we're not joyful. Verse three, for I can testify that they gave not only what they could afford, but far more, but far more. And they did it of their own free will. They begged us again and again for the privilege of sharing in the gift for the believers in Jerusalem. So that's what he's talking about. He, he, he said, the church in Macedonia, I, I told them, no, you guys are impoverished. No, you guys are experiencing this. I don't need to take up the collection here. And they're like, no, Paul, we want to give. No, 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 we want to help. What can we do? Like, how, how can we be a part? We, we want to help the church in Jerusalem. This is the attitude of the Macedonians. He said, they did even more than we had hoped for. Um, their first action was to give themselves to the Lord and to us, just as God wanted them to do. They're like, Paul, what can we do? We'll give you more than finances. How can we, how can we be a part? We want to be fully involved. So we urged Titus, and, and Titus was another son in the faith that Paul had. So we urged Titus, who encouraged your giving in the first place, to return to you and encourage you to finish the ministry of giving. I, I know I'm throwing a lot at you guys this morning, but Paul wrote this letter. He, he's having Titus deliver this letter in, in, in Corinth, and uh, he's saying that Titus, who encouraged your giving in the first place, so Titus, who was taking up this collection to send back to Jerusalem, he started it in the church in Corinth in the first place to return to you and encourage you to finish the ministry of giving. You started it, finish it. So, so from this, we can pull that the church in Corinth started off generous. They started off giving to the collection, and we're excited about it, and it kind of dwindled away. So they're being reminded, listen, generosity is who we are, and we're not being generous. Verse 7, since you excel in so many ways. So here Paul is, you know, punching a hug. He's, he's got to say something encouraging because he's challenging them. He says, you guys excel in so many ways in your faith. He's like, you have gifted speakers, your knowledge, your enthusiasm, your love from us, or, or your love from us. I, I want you to excel. He's like, he's like you, you guys do some incredible things as a body. 
You do some incredible things as a church. You preach good. You love good. You, you got, you know, uplifting spirits. You're enthusiastic. But I want you to accept, I want you to excel also in this gracious act of giving. I want you to be expectant, right? I want you to set the tone. But don't forget, we're generous with our time, talent, and treasure, church. Verse 8, I'm not commanding you to do this, but I am testing how genuine your love is by comparing it with the eagerness of other churches. Y'all pick it up on this? Like, Paul, you're not sneaky, bro. Like, we see, listen, I'm not commanding you. I'm just testing where you're at, okay? Bible's fun, man. Verse 10, here's my advice. It would be good for you to finish what you started a year ago. Last year, were the first, last year, you were the first who wanted to give, and you were the first to begin doing it. In essence, the church of Corinth, you guys started the trend. You guys wanted to start sowing in Jerusalem. You, you, you set the tone in that matter. You were the first ones to do it. Get, and he says, let the eagerness you showed in the beginning be matched now by your giving. He says, give in proportion to what you have. Whatever you give is acceptable if you give it eagerly. You can see that giving is an attitude, right? God doesn't want it if it's like, I have to do this. <laughs> no, no, no. He, he, he says, whatever you give is acceptable if you give it eagerly. And give according to what you have, not what you don't have. From what Paul's writing here in the next couple of minutes, I want to briefly swing through these points. I just want to give you a couple of things of, you know, the attitude of our generosity, really what our, what our giving should look like. So if you're taking notes, you can write these things down. Because uh, uh, from this, this letter Paul writes to the church in Corinth, I think there's some things we find out about uh, how we as believers should give. One, we should give joyfully. We should give joyfully. In verse 2, it says, but they are also filled with abundant joy, which has overflowed in rich generosity. Um, Kim, if you want to come up on the keys, that'd be incredible. Uh, verse 4, it says, they begged us again and again for the privilege of sharing in the gift for the believers of Jer Jerusalem. Paul's saying, guys, I, I went to the church in Macedonia, and they were so excited to give. They were so uh, enthusiastic about serving the Lord and being generous and helping other believers. I literally, I didn't even want to take up the offering. They begged to give to the offering. They begged to give to the collection. One, we got to give joyfully. Two, give selflessly. Give selflessly. In verse two, it says, they are being tested by many troubles and they are very poor. And, and, and I think, you know, our worldly thought or common sense or whatever you want to call it is say, man, in, in my time of need right now, uh, it doesn't make a whole lot of sense. In my time of poverty, it doesn't make a whole lot of sense for me to give far more than expected. But you know what? This is what the body needs to look like. We need to give selflessly. And, and like I said earlier, lack doesn't negate us from being generous. What we have or don't have doesn't determine if I'm a generous person or not, or if I have the ability to be a generous person or not. Give from what you have, right? Verse five, it says, they did even more than we had hoped for. Their first action was to give themselves to the Lord and to us and to what God wanted them to do. They gave selflessly. Three, give willingly. Give willingly. Whatever you give is acceptable if you give it eagerly. 
You see, it's an attitude. That's what would happen if, if we as a church became eager to give. I'm not just talking about into the offering plate on a Sunday morning. I'm talking about in our schools, in our offices, in our community, at our sports games. I can, what about walking through Walmart? I can't tell you how many times I come up to, to the cashier at Walmart. Lord's been convicting me about this, and, and I come up, and I, you know, I, I got a cashier who maybe they're having a good day, maybe they're not, and I'm just, I just want to get through. I just want to get my stuff bagged and get in the car. I'm not here for a conversation. I don't want another friend. I don't need another friend, whatever my attitude is. That's not given generously. What, what if I came up, if really I was being generous, if really that was in the fabric of who I was and it needs to be, I come up and say, hey, how was your day? I love that Walmart vest you're wearing right now. It just, the blue just brings it out in your eyes. I can't, for real. And you guys laugh, but you know we've all been there. We've all been there. I have my own schedule. I have my own things. I have my own needs. I have my own to-do list. I, I need to do this. We, we, we need to give willingly. It needs to be the attitude of our heart. Are we willing to give when we walk around with the way that we live? Give according to what you have, not what you don't have. Four, give thankfully. Give thankfully. Verse nine said, you know the generous grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor so that by his poverty he could make you rich. Give thankfully. This is really the essence of why we can give because we serve a God who gave to us. We serve a generous God. We're made in his image. We are, the whole reason that we sharpen one another is so we can all be shaped and molded into the image of Jesus. I want to look and act and speak and think and move and heal and bless and give like Jesus. I want to be like Jesus. He is my identity. That's what I want people, when people interact with me, when they see me, when they hear my words, when they watch me speak and move, they see Jesus. That's what I want. You know the generous grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, though he was rich, yet for our sakes he became poor, so that by his poverty he could make you rich. We're all rich. Are we living and giving thankfully for what he's done for us already? Psalm 116, 12, out of the message, it says, what can I give back to God for the blessings he's poured out on me? Like, what, what can I give back? And then five, give intentionally. Worship team, you can come back up. Verse three says, for I can testify, five is give intentionally. Uh, verse three, it says, for I can testify that they gave not only what they could afford, but far more. And they did it of their own free will. Listen, here's what I want you guys to understand. Destiny Church is, is going to be a generous church. And if you consider yourself a member here, we're going to be a generous people. And the reason we're going to be generous is because the God that we serve, love, preach, talk about, the God that we shape our, and center our lives around, he's generous. God first loved the world so much that he gave. God loved the world so much that he gave. And you know what? That's the commission to us. We need to love the world so much that we gave. We need to love the mission of Christ so much that we're willing to give. Thank you so much for joining us. Special thanks to those of you who give to this ministry. It's because of you that this ministry is possible. You can check out the link in the description to give or visit destinychurch.me give. 
Don't forget to subscribe and share with your friends. We love you and have a blessed week.